Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello and welcome back, everybody. This is episode 38 of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I am Pastor Mark. And today we are going to be picking up where we left off last week with our episode on some of the bad arguments against Christianity, arguments that we uh, sort of thought of as being uh, a little lacking in in logic and not really having all that much to to say that, that, that also have very sort of simple uh, responses mm-hmm. um, from a Christian standpoint, but today we're going to be looking at arguments that we think genuinely are much more difficult. Not to say that we're afraid of these arguments mm-hmm. or that these arguments have no answers that can be given, mm-hmm. but they're often arguments that take a lot more work that you couldn't just give a, a surefire answer in 60 seconds to somebody. I remember in, in seminary, we would often do sort of training things in our ap- apologetics courses. Uh, about what would be a 60-second answer you would give to somebody in an elevator if, you're, mm. if you got on on the first floor and they ask you a question and you were getting off on the third floor. How would you answer that that question? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd have to give concise little snippets of information that would make somebody think. Uh, but some, some of these sorts of questions you really cannot do that with. Uh, it, it takes not only a conversation, but mm-hmm. it can take multiple conversations, maybe even months or years of conversations and often gets to the point, I think, where you'll need to recommend a good book to someone, have yeah. them sit sit down with a long-form answer. And so we've come up with, with just three, not that there aren't more than this, mm-hmm. but the three we've come up with, we'll be diving into, have to do with the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll start We'll start there. We'll get into the second and the third ones uh, in a bit, um, having to do with the evolution of religion and with uh, the lack of transformation amongst Christians. But yeah. the problem of evil, what is the problem of evil and why is it so difficult? Well, there's there's a word for problem of evil called uh, theodicy. Mm-hmm. And every religion has to do some sort of theodicy in explaining uh, why there is evil in the world. This is particularly difficult for religions um, that that posit or believe in a good God, uh, such as Christianity. We believe that God is active, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. And so if God is all good, uh, why is there still evil in the world? This is an argument that has been uh, asked in this sort of logical way for at least the past two or three centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort of been asked in a more latent way throughout all of human history. Especially uh, when terrible tragedies like the Holocaust occur. Yeah, yeah. And this brings the question home. Why do these sorts of atrocities, these sorts of evil things take place in a world where God is both present in the world, God is also good? So how, do, how does that happen? How does God allow for these sorts of things to happen? It can be human evil that, that is occurring like the Holocaust um, or, or terrorism or mm-hmm. uh, 
shootings that we see on TV, which are Child all abuse, horrific. Like Child that. abuse yeah. can also be natural evils, if we can call it that. Uh, tsunamis wiping out thousands of people, hurricanes uh, mm-hmm. killing uh, many, many people. Uh, so why do those sorts of things all happen? So why is this, would you say, Mark, one of the harder ones for Christians to grapple with? It's difficult in large part because of the existential yearning. I, I think that hmm. the the question is being asked often from a, a place of real searching. And um, so it's not just an intellectual question. Yeah. Um, it, it has to do with a sort of a personal philosophy, a way that I think about the world around me. It really affects um, so much that, um, that it's on people's minds when they watch the news, when things are just obviously evil in front of us. Um, we as Christians believe that God has wired us to have a problem with that, hmm. um, to desire justice. And so... That this is part of the reason it's sort of getting into the answer to that question is even the very fact that this is an issue shows that people are different. We are attuned to suffering. Um, we don't yeah. want to see suffering in the world. God has made us to desire justice and peace in the world, and that's a good thing. And so that yeah. very desire, I would say, um, Satan can twist into a doubt, mm-hmm. um, a doubt about the goodness, the power, the love, the activity of God in the world. And so um, this came up a little bit in the last episode where we noted with something like the Trinity that because the Trinity is mysterious, um, Satan is going to be very good at driving that wedge of doubt into Mm -hmm. the mysteries um, that are real. And and so uh, we believe the Trinity based on what the Bible says. We believe God is good, certainly based on what the Bible says and by what we experience in this world. Um, But there's mystery in this question of um, how or why God allows for very evil, sort of heinous things to happen in in the world. There is continuing mystery for that question of why. Yeah. Um, and and so that's why it can be such a compelling argument, I think, for yeah, a lot of particularly, people. particularly, as you said, when it hits close to home, as yeah. this question often does. Um, so it's not just people asking about the Holocaust. Um, for few people that I know today, the Holocaust hits close to home. Yeah, there's a family um, in our church whose dad was at, at Auschwitz. So yeah. there is there are examples of it hitting close to home. Yeah, um, the Buttermans. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Mm. I had forgotten yeah. that about them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We'll see if Bill's listening. <laughs> uh, but uh, often it happens when people lose a child or or a loved one. Why does God allow for those things to happen? And those are definitely mysterious occurrences that we we, we, we can't fully explain. Um, we can begin, I think, to get at some answers about how those, as Mark said, those sufferings point us to something. Mm-hmm. Why do we feel that suffering is insufferable mm-hmm. to begin with? Um, that shows that there is something that we are as humans longing for and that we were, uh, we don't, I would, I would say we're not created for suffering. Suffering is an unnatural part of, of human existence. It's, it's, although it's so natural now, it's a part of, of what it means to be human in some sense as well, but it's not supposed to be this way. Um, one of the most helpful answers I've been given, and this may not be persuasive for, for lots of people, 
Um, but it was just an illustration an old pastor of mine shared with me about tapestries. Um, I believe he was talking about tapestries in the medieval world, in, in particularly in castles and in stone buildings. You would have very, very thick woven tapestries, uh, really to prevent uh, cold air from getting in. It was sort of as insta- insulation, but if you're going to have all these thick tapestries all around the castle, you would have to make them beautiful. And so hmm. on the front side of the tapestry, it would be this beautiful image or art, uh, different designs, sometimes even uh, different, basically, uh, sort of like paintings that would have characters and people would be sort of telling a story. Scenes of like uh, a hunt or something Yeah, like things that. like that. Yeah. And so on the front side, it would be this beautiful masterpiece, presumably. But if you were to go on the back side of the tapestry, and some of these, according to what he said, I don't know if this is actually true, would be <laughs> about a foot thick. So very, very thick tapestries. You'd go on the back side, and it would just be a lot of strings, and they would be cut off things, and you'd see uh, woven parts just going all over the place, and it would make no sense. It would look like this grand, chaotic mess. Mm. Um and he made the point simply that maybe that's what human life is like on this side, uh, where things just don't make sense and things actually look quite ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe there's an explanation on the other side that shows what God is doing in all of this that we will not see. Uh, we're stuck in this life on on this side. Uh, and I think that that's actually a pretty helpful way. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually do think it's faithful to Scripture mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that we don't see all the things that God is up to. God's ways are far above our ways. There are things that are that are mysterious to us that we'll never see. Uh, but God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. So there is a grand design to the masterpiece uh, of human history that God is up to. Uh, but we just don't get to see it. And th- that's not going to be exactly persuasive for somebody who's actually mm-hmm. grappling with the pain of the world. Uh, but it, it helps, I think, to at least begin to show that there is at least one alternative way of viewing hmm. the utter unknown of, of human existence. And for me, that's that's helpful mm-hmm. at the very least. Yeah, I've, I've heard a, a similar analogy of somebody opening up the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy and turning to a page that looks really bad. Hmm. And so there are situations in that trilogy that are totally hopeless and yeah um you know this uh <laughs> battle of helms deep right it, and the two towers where mm-hmm. uh, they're just stuck in this castle and the the orc hordes are bearing down on them and if you were to open the whole trilogy and look only at that one page hmm. uh, you would say what kind of sadistic person wrote this yeah um what what is wrong with somebody to write this now the reason that um <laughs> the, the Christian would say, well, there's redemption, there's, hmm. there's victory, there's justice that happens in the story, hmm. in, the, in the, the longer story. And so I think that's one of the most important Christian responses is to say God is a God of justice, he is a God of redemption. And so hmm. what humans see as unredeemable, God can redeem, um, God can actually bring good from a, a story like... Um, hmm. Joseph in the Old Testament being sold into slavery, yeah. and um, and God turns that into a a great benefit to all of the Middle East, basically by mm-hmm. uh, 
by bringing him to the forefront of, of authority in That's the classic. In Egypt. I think it's Genesis 50, I forget which verse, where he yeah. says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Right, and so um, that doesn't mean that God sort of delights in terrible things happening in the world because that just gives him a chance to you know, uh, show off his stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But we can say God is a God of redemption and God is a God of justice as well. And so the justice... Uh, portion of the argument is really important for things like the Holocaust, um, gratuitous evil um, yeah. that that seems to have no purpose. Well, um, we must believe that hell exists and that God um, is a just God. Hmm. And um, people who sin against God and who do not seek his salvation, who do not accept his redemption and who continue in evil, not just towards God, but towards other people, um, there is a, pun- a punishment, a penalty for yeah. that. And and so uh, actually the doctrine of hell um, sounds a little bit strange, is helpful in dealing with this problem of evil because God is a God of justice and it's not just like we just vanish into the ether and all go to heaven someday um, and it yeah. doesn't really matter what Hitler did or what those prison guards did in Buchenwald and Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's a problem for God too. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's not a problem for him that he can't deal with, but but God sees this as a bad thing as well. Yeah, yeah, so. that's really good. I I think it that's a really helpful angle that the Christian can say to the problem of evil is that God is God is a is a God of judgment. This will not just happen without anybody having to uh, be punished or, or own up to it. Um, I think that that can't be said by, by just a materialist. Yeah. Uh, that sort of evil is... Uh, the problem of, e- of evil gets... is almost worse for the materialist yeah. than it is for anyone with a, a, a final judgment in their theology. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that that's right. And part of the problem that the Christian has in, in touching on this is that it is such a textured conversation because mm-hmm. if... If if we say that God is good, and yet we're we're all well aware that evil does happen, trying to explain how those two things can be true to somebody who who sort of has a logical mind, they that that can be really difficult to express how God it has on the one hand allowed, even in some sense caused, you could say, for bad things to happen. Uh, he he, that's that's interesting controversial mm. ground of yeah. course over calvinism versus augustinian uh, yeah reformed theology there yeah. uh yeah looking at you know stories of the old testament mm-hmm. I, I think job is a classic example all these horrific things happen to him uh in basically a, a day and he goes and he starts to praise the lord uh, blessed mm. be the name of the lord who who gives and takes away and yeah. then it says in all of this job did not sin against god with his lips uh but he has just sort of said God has taken all this away, even though it was in the story it was Satan. Yeah. Job knows that ultimately it's God, and so I, I think in some sense God doesn't want to be taken off the hook. Uh, we don't want to just give up give excuses for why these things happen. I mm-hmm. think in some sense God is responsible. Uh, that that maybe is mm-hmm. more controversial ground, but uh, God God is doing something in all of this, and so how does the Christian have a mm-hmm. a Hope, hopeful and helpful response to somebody who's really struggling with this. Well, part of it is to accept with them that yes, this is a very 
difficult thing, how we can wrap our minds around how God does things through our world. But I also think that the Christian has a helpful uh, path to go in this answer by explaining how we've gotten into this situation. Uh, The reason for that would be sin. Sin has entered into this world. Humans are also responsible. We are not just victims of this cosmic... uh, (laughs) terror we are also we 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 play a huge part in why this is the way why this world is the way that it is and this is what we call sin this is what we call original sin as well and free will all of these things have have led to the brokenness of the world we can look back you can i've heard so many people mock the christian story the genesis story of Really, you know, Adam and Eve just wanted to eat a fruit, and this, all of this has happened now because of that. Um, I think one simple way of, of addressing that uh, would be that it was a cosmic sin because it was a it was a sin against God, the God of all things. Mm. Uh, even though it was, on the one hand, simple, uh, I think that, that would be to oversimplify it. Uh, it's it's sin against an eternal God. Uh, and it's going against his will, his design. And so yeah. what what the sin was is sort of, in my mind, secondary. Uh, yeah, the fact I, that they sinned at all against God uh, is what is problematic. If my children leave the table during dinner, there's nothing inherently wrong with leaving a table. But if we've told them four times, do not leave the table, continue mm-hmm. eating your food until you're done mm-hmm. with your vegetables then that's a flagrant sin against our instruction as parents. So yeah. the leaving of the table is, you know, the eating of a fruit. Um, those things yeah. have good reasons um, yeah. uh, in certain contexts, and it certainly did in the garden. It was a flagrant, in-your-face act of defiance against God who had yeah. said, eat all this, but yeah. don't eat this, and trust me. Yeah, that, that it, was, it, was, it was the opposite of trusting God. Yeah. And that is what brings in the fall. And that explains, at least for the Christian way of thinking, part of why the world is the way that it is. And that sin doesn't just affect us as humans. It affects the whole universe. All of creation, Romans 8 says, is groaning Hmm. when the pangs of childbirth uh, crying out for redemption. Uh, And so that is, is part of why the world even... Is, is so broken our physical world our our natural world we see sort of we see chaotic terrible things happen tsunamis earthquakes hurricanes tornadoes and so on these sorts of things happen because our whole world is broken sin has has marred all things yeah uh i think a materialist struggles to to, to to wrestle with why that sort of stuff happens and, other than it's just pure chance. And if it's just pure chance, that's just right. the way that things are. Yeah. Why do we, why do we get so upset about it? And it's important to note that sin is the, at the root of this, because I think one of the reasons that this becomes a good argument in a lot of people's eyes is they feel entitled to an easy life. Uh, or we feel entitled to things just going smoothly along, which, yeah. um, so this is this argument has a lot of appeal in Western culture where hmm. comfort is sort of the god of the age. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, things going like I want them to all the time. 
mm-hmm. is a big and like, that's how things should be yeah and you know what that's how, that's how they they can be we're so used to that because we've we've created a world for ourselves as humans uh where things can go right mm-hmm. quite a bit mm-hmm. uh whereas you could think just thousands of years ago human beings would have struggled to make things always go right and be comfortable yeah we can think of uh a little silly little analogy but i think it helps in the conversation is um computers working when (laughs) when i was a kid computers often did not work like you might you turn it on it might turn on it might not this time um you try to get on the internet yeah. No, you, sometimes it's busy. You get the busy signal. You got to try four times. You have to. No, <laughs> um, oh, I guess I just can't get on the internet right now, and that's just not going to work for me. Yeah. Um, computers in the yeah in the nineties and the eighties they were very unpredictable things, and I mean, take that much further and go to farming, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a time in American history when about eighty five percent of American families were farmers. And all kinds of things can go wrong on the farm. Um, I mentioned before, I think on the podcast, where we just read through the Little House series, and locusts come one year, then the next year it's bad weather. And, mm-hmm. and there's just a sense that people had throughout all of human history that life is unpredictable. Yeah, There's a good amount of suffering in it and, and unpredictability. And we're going to struggle and strive and, and be thankful for the good days. Yeah, and that that's that struggling and that suffering is not going to surprise us or catch us off catch us off guard because we know that that's just how it's going to be, but in our world in particular more and more people are unprepared yeah. for for struggle and for suffering uh, because that's just not the way we think that the world needs to be or should be. It and so sh- it the, should always work sort of and so there's a there's an interesting combination there of a rejection of sinful nature but also at the same time, an expectation that everything should just go smoothly. Yeah. Um, so now, when our computers don't work in 2021, man, we that, are entitled that for that thing to work correctly. <laughs> yeah. It's a, Francis Chan once talked about it, and he's like, he's he's preaching on Job, and he was like, so people today, it's like they stub their toe and they think I'm just like Job, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and so there's that element of this conversation. Um, when things go against us, it, Peter says, "Do not be surprised by the painful trial you're in, you're enduring." Yeah. Um, and the reason that he says that is there's sin in the world. There's opposition to the kingdom of God. There's going to be some suffering because of sin in the world. And thanks be to God, He He gives us a victory through Christ. That's of course in the Book of Romans. And so um, we do want to say, I I think sometimes people will struggle with this because they would say. This evil happened, and there can be nothing that could, there can be no solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, the materialist, the person who only believes in what we can measure and see and think and, and feel, um, that person will ultimately believe that nothing good could come from this because there's no life to come, there's no salvation, there's yeah. no redemption. But the Christian would say, God, throughout all of Scripture and throughout all of history, has done amazingly surprising works of redemption. Um, the cross is the ultimate example of an evil that can, that on the surface, in the moment, would have looked like it could lead to no good. Yeah. And then, of course, it is salvation for yeah. for um, for the believer. That's 
1 uh, Corinthians. Uh, it's, it seems like foolishness. It seems like a disaster, the cross. Right. But for us, it's, it's salvation. Um, and, uh, and so the problem of evil is we, we do categorize it as a good argument because of that, that yearning that people have for justice and um, the philosophical um, appeal, maybe, mm-hmm. to, uh, to sort of just believing that, that a good God could not allow for this, but mm-hmm. that's where faith does come in. And it's not blind faith, and we can see all throughout Scripture and history where God mm-hmm. has turned things around for good. So it's not yeah. blind faith to say, oh, well, everything will work out in the end, um, but it does require some faith. Yeah, it's hard to explain, I think, that's what we're trying to say. It's hard to explain why suffering and evil and bad things can exist in our world. But the Christian, even though we may struggle to explain it, we can give good, I think the Christian faith gives us good resources to address it. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it, yeah. the solution is found in Christ. Yeah. Uh, people often will ask, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the simple answer to that would be that's only happened once uh, and that person was Jesus because uh, he's the only good person uh, he's he, and that's that's the truly that was the you could say unjust thing in some sense yeah, yeah. Um, but that is how God has stepped into a world where evil does exist and he has taken the fight to the front lines yeah. and is doing is doing things to to redeem the world to redeem his people and even all of creation creation is crying out for that redemption and god is making all things new so christianity i think does give an explanation as mysterious and difficult as it may be to to wrap our heads around it but it also it it says yes evil is a real problem it's not just this myth it's not just uh a a sort of secondary of problem or a state of mind yep. it is real yeah. and something must be done something is being done and something will finally be done about it and that is i think for me very compelling yeah. uh, that it, it addresses evil and says something's being done god god is doing something aslan is on the move essentially yeah. uh, and so there's hope uh, for the christian even in this uh, dark world yeah, and um, if somebody's struggling with that who's listening to this podcast, I, I would want to say talk with a faithful, wise Christian about mm-hmm. this matters. Um, we found in the last podcast that it is often the church, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy in giving glib, um, mm-hmm. fundamentalistic answers without yeah. without recognizing the pain that somebody is going through. Yeah. And so um, if somebody has a problem with evil, maybe a, a terrible sin that was committed against them, that seems like there could never be justice for that. Um, it can be really good to read a book like The Reason for God or mm-hmm. um, Mere Christianity or The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. But but really what we need is is relationship with, with somebody who is going to love us and, and point us to the truth of Scripture in a helpful, wise, tactful way. Yeah. With, um, by giving real answers without making them glib and just easy. It's, yeah. it's not an easy answer. It's a true and, and it's a fairly simple answer that hmm. that God can redeem any lost thing. Um, yeah. uh, and, and so uh, that does come, though, hmm. with uh, some sensitivity needed for certain contexts. 
Yeah. So and I would also recommend A Grief Observed by mm. C.S. Lewis. Uh, yeah. So he writes The Problem of Evil and he's addressing this whole conversation. Uh, but then after the death of his wife, Joy, writes a book that he never thought was going to be published. It was published posthumously. Um, <laughs> and in that you see a very raw sort of dealing with yeah. with the reality of pain in his own life. Uh, and there's a lot of yearning and crying out to God, even sort of anger with God and perplexity. Uh, it sounds to me a lot like some of the Psalms. Hmm. Psalm 88 yeah. jumps to mind in particular. Yeah. Uh, where where are you? And yeah. darkness is my closest companion. Yeah. Uh, the Psalms re- wrestle with this sort of thing too. And they don't always give us perfect, simple, single sentence answers. Uh, but they show that there is a place for the Christian to to struggle with this, but to struggle with it in faith. Yeah, so that's the story of Job. It's a psalm of lament, um, Psalm 13, Psalm 37. Like um, many of the psalms, of course, are referring to, uh, and yet I will trust, and yet in the Lord I put my hope, because yeah. with him there is full redemption. So um, the next one is probably more on the intellectual than existential side. Yeah. Um, the this is the argument that Christianity and really any religion is just um, a sort of a tool that people use in order to give meaning to life. Um, often this is couched in terms of science and psychology and evolutionary mm-hmm. biology where um, we'll get to in a minute there's a debate um, which from I, I think a guy Eric was it Eric or Brett Weinstein. Um, Brett. Brett Weinstein. Brett, Brett Weinstein. I think he's yeah. some sort of evolutionary biologist. Yeah, so he's the he's the guy. He was at uh, what's the college up in Washington? Evergreen State. <laughs> Evergreen State, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's a part of sort of the intellectual dark web now, and right, Jordan and so, Peterson sort of stuff. And he would say that uh, religion exists because people just need meaning for life, mm-hmm. and uh, they need to get together. They need to create some structure for morality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what religion gives us. Yeah, so he calls religion in a, in a debate that he does with Alistair McGrath, who is a British theologian uh, and historian. So he does a debate with him, and his basic point is that religion is essentially a hack for humans uh, that causes humans to have some sort of grand incentive to behave in ways that will be the most beneficial to their groups and to the survival of their groups, to the to the uh, progeny of their groups uh, and so on. So if you have some sort of deity up in the sky watching over all things, uh, this will best serve your group because it will cause people to live lives of integrity. Even when they could get away with evil things uh, like lying or cheating, stealing, they won't do it because they know that there's a, a person in the sky who's going to judge them. And so if they posit that sort of thing and they all tell that same story, then it will be the best for their tribe's uh, personal health and maintenance and preservation through the generations and so on. So basically, it's an evolutionary theory for the existence and the rise of of religions in general. Yeah, and so it is ultimately utilitarian. It's just... Yes, it serves an evolutionary purpose. Yeah, and... um, the counter argument to this, I, th- I think there's a couple ways that Christians would respond to that. We would say, firstly, and I think this would be the the most helpful way to respond, is 
religion does give people meaning in their life. Christianity certainly gives people meaning, gives us a code of morality. Um, it brings people mm-hmm. together. It helps us cooperate. Um, it makes us more compassionate and um, um, sort of we think about outside of ourselves and just dog eat dog, and yeah. we think about others. And so it, it does serve that purpose to some extent, and that doesn't mean that that's the only reason it exists. It's just its utilitarian purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't really prove or disprove the legitimacy of a religion. Um, it's a little bit like we were talking beforehand, and I use the example of gravity. And so we have the word gravity, which describes why an apple falls from a tree. Um, that's that that's a a word that we use to represent something that is happening. Um, it doesn't sort of the, the word that we use doesn't prove or disprove that theory as much as just as an observation mm-hmm. about what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say Christianity um, is not disproved by its u- utility. Um, in fact, maybe it's even proved, proved in a lot of ways by yeah. its utility. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You sort of start the starting point there for for Weinstein is is that evolution is is a truth, which that's a whole other yeah. debate. <laughs> um, and so, from starting from that point, it gives an evolutionary explanation for religion. Yeah, uh, and so it makes perfect sense then using that framework. But yeah, as Mark is saying, that doesn't necessarily disprove Christianity's truth. Uh, the fact that Christianity is good for societies, uh, is good for people, uh, or other religions, you know, can have some sort of stabilizing effect that can create a better civilization, uh, if we can use that sort of terminology to say one religion is better than the other may offend some, but mm-hmm. um, he's basically saying it's just, yeah, it's utilitarian, it's useful for, for people groups. And it's a really interesting debate, I would totally advise everybody to go listen to that it's about an hour and a half i think maybe on it's the two unbelievable parts podcast. It's on the unbelievable podcast it's from about two years ago alistair mcgrath and brett weinstein um and in all honesty i don't remember exactly what what alistair mcgrath's responses were the whole time i was really just profoundly interested in what weinstein was saying uh but that being said it's also interesting to me that this argument is Definitely a different sort of argument than what we're used to with the new atheist mm. ar- arguments. The new atheism, mm-hmm. if it's still even alive anymore, was so <laughs> antagonistic towards Christians uh, and towards religion in general, seeing it as just pure evil. Right. And and all these evil things could be done in the name of God. Yeah. And so it's a diff- very different tack to be taking to say, look, cre- religion has done all these great things for people. It's helped people preserve cultures, preserve uh, their lives, and so on. Uh but ultimately, it's just it's not really necessary. So Weinstein, I think, if I remember correctly, basically makes the point that Christianity is sort of the most evolved mm. of all the religions and does the best job in creating a moral populace, but that at the end of the day now, it's not a necessary mm-hmm. uh, framework or grounding for, for us to, to hold on to. Yeah, and so... This is sort of seeing Christianity as a crutch. That's what some people would say. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean that, that crutches are useless. Or, you know what I mean? It, it's like, um, yeah. 
sort of a Marxist attitude, maybe that that Christianity just sort of exists to it served a purpose. Yeah, yeah, to serve the purpose of well, he would he would say it was a, it has a nefarious purpose. But a strong keeping, person doesn't need it, and a strong yeah people shouldn't need it. Yeah, and so that's often the argument of Christopher Hitchens and yeah, um, it sounds like Brett Weinstein. Um, so Christians don't really have to be worried about this argument. It can seem appealing because, and the reason that we put it in this episode as being a, not necessarily just an an easily dismissible argument, it it, it does give some um, logic for the development of, of yeah. A, of it has a, a lot of explanatory power, yeah. therefore it can be very compelling. But I would say on the uh, on the usefulness of this sort of philosophy it's actually it doesn't really combat christianity at its core what it's trying to do is explain something about christianity and it's not actually going to the claims of christ for example it explains the origins of christianity in a thoroughly anthropological way yeah um and yeah it doesn't give (laughs) yeah there's there's no response to the deity of christ and 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 so forth um the reality that miracles happen in the world mm-hmm. um that when people pray um uh, that is that is really a good thing um any sort of supernatural claim of prophecy for mm-hmm. example can't really be explained in this evolutionary origin of religion argument against christianity yeah. um the fact that there are prophecies in the bible that were that are truly written before christ that came to be fulfilled in christ that's a supernatural um approach to scripture and we we think that it's confirmed in scripture itself and all throughout world history as well yeah Um, as we've been saying too the fact that christianity according to weinstein has proved beneficial for people over such a long period of time that can also be flipped on its head and be said to say or be used to say that's a good argument for yeah. maybe the truthfulness of Christianity, for the legitimacy of Christianity. Yeah. Uh, that if if this way of understanding the world and our place in the world as humans and our calling for how to live our lives, uh, if, that, if that proves beneficial over time in a general way, this isn't to say that Christianity has just always had a perfect effect because there's, there's yeah. evil things that have happened in the name of God, but... In a general sense, if if society is better now because because of Christianity and its influence over time, maybe that should make us think. Maybe there's something to all of this, and that's really the the place of Tom Holland in his book yeah. Dominion, which we've mentioned b- before. Uh, he sort of is seeing that sort of stuff too, so re- realizing that Christianity has had a profound effect on Western culture, and Western culture isn't perfect, uh, but the reason we we think of things the way we do, uh, even as atheists in Western culture, mm. uh, is because of Christianity. That's his argument, and I think there's something compelling to that. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's that's a really good sort of cap on the evolutionary origin of religion. It's hmm. it, even to say that, like for for Brett Weinstein to say, well, it has led to some good and it has some utility. Um, is is often done in a Christian framework, and so he's assuming yeah. Christian values so often when he says what is good and what is not good. The survival of, of the human species, he would <laughs> say, is a is a good, is a good thing, right? Um, and, although he does get into some weird stuff about maybe we need to 
be more careful with our population and not let let too many humans live at once. We may may put too much of a strain on the world. Yeah. Interesting stuff comes into play there. And so the fact that he is able to make any value judgments on what is good and what is wrong is, is really done through, um, the Christian framework of morality. Mm -hmm. Um, so, which is ironic to me, but I don't know if that defeats his argument necessarily, but, um, it's, it's just an interesting observation that many atheistic, um, anti-Christian philosophers or debaters will assume a Christian morality. Mm-hmm. So the problem of evil does the same thing. It says that something evil has happened, something wrong has happened but in the world. But to even use the terminology of evil, it means you have to have some sort of yeah. frame f- Absolutely. for adjudicating what's evil and what's good. And so Romans 1 says, we do know what's evil, yeah. and um, God writes it on our hearts. And and so the the very fact that evil is is an issue, or that in the second argument here that we want to progress, we we want to grow, and we want to uh, provide for the needs of the poor and and um, people outside of just ourselves. Those are very religious Christian mm-hmm. um, assertions to be making. Mm-hmm. So um, the third argument that we'll get yeah. into, um, and uh, this is noted as a, a fairly strong argument by some Christian philosophers against the Christian faith is the lack of transformation in Christian people. And um, I believe it's um, Alvin Plantinga who mentions that this is a, can be a strong argument. And he says, the reason that it's strong is because we claim to, to believe in a transformational God, a transformational faith, and so to become a Christian is to be a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and uh, a Christian person should be not just saved and going to heaven someday, but showing virtue, being compassionate, being patient, um, being trusting and, and truthful. Um, mm-hmm. And so given that we, we claim that should be happening in the life of the Christian, hmm. um, it can seem like a counter-argument to our faith that it often doesn't seem to be happening in the lives of many people who go to church. Yeah, it's a very, very strong argument because this is the same reason why the strongest commercials, the best commercials, or the most persuasive commercials for any product uh, are the ones where... So I've listened to podcasts, and sometimes the podcasters will do their own commercials. We are not going to be at that point anytime. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to be, but... I've heard some podcasters say, I actually use this product and I really do love this product. Mm. And I'm, I'm doing this commercial not just because I'm making money, but because I think it's something worth sharing with you. Mm. Uh, it's because for them, that thing is actually true. And so that, that is a compelling uh, commercial, yeah. right? So when Christ, Christians, Christians are supposed to be <laughs> living members of the body of Christ, and they're supposed to have a certain gospel proclamation yeah. of God changing all things, making all things new, even them. But what you see is not that. You see them not changed at all. It or sometimes getting worse. Yeah, and in, in some cases, people it definitely go to church. Uh, takes away any of the uh, the compelling nature of, of what of what their message is. It, it ruins it. And I think that this is. I would argue, I think Plantinga is right. I think maybe today this is perhaps the strongest argument against Christianity uh, is that to our world today, Christians do not seem to be changed 
Uh, now, this gets really complicated, though, because our world now, in, in its post-Christian state, thinks it knows what the what Jesus was all about yeah. and would say, you Christians don't seem very much like your Jesus. And so even very, I would say, strong Christians who are, who are loving, caring people, who, who care for others, who do live lives of radical transformation, our world may say, no, you still look like a, like a hate monger. Hmm. Uh, you still look like you're transphobic or homophobic or, or whatever. Um, but a lot of the times for, for people in our world today, it's because they've known Christians, professing Christians, who have been genuinely mm-hmm. destructive uh, in their way of life, uh, both for themselves and for their immediate relationships, connections. Uh, people have been burned by Christians, whether it's leaders or just lay people. Uh, people have often had bad encounters with, with people who are committed churchgoers, you could say. Uh, and so... This this shows that Christianity, while it may be true, some people might think is terrible in terms of the sort of people it produces, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be anything like those people that it produces. So I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, and another one of my responses to that is is that it really puts us in the position of God and being kind of all-knowing about the good that a church or an individual is producing or or not producing that they hypothetically otherwise would have been producing if they weren't Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, that that takes a very high view of oneself in order to judge so definitively um, in a lack of a person's transformation. It, it's a, it can seem like a good argument, but when you yeah. think about the, the limit of human understanding of how much good is happening, even in our own lives, or in the life, or in the yeah. a church, or in America, or throughout or the world? Life. We can focus so much on the negative yeah. um, that that we won't even see all of the amazing things that are coming from a Christian or a church. Um, yeah. a, a perfect example: we could look at the world over the last forty years, and somebody would say, "Is the world a better place to live?" More generally speaking than it was 40 years ago. And the ab- the answer is an absolute yes. There is far less hmm. poverty throughout the world. There's all this good happening in the world, mm-hmm. and yet it can be so easy to just hone in on that, that the few things that, well, few, many things that are <laughs> um, that are wrong in the yeah. world. Yeah. And so we can do that on the micro level for the individual as well mm-hmm. and say, this person isn't transformed because they just swore, they said a bad word, or because they made a mistake and maybe even they made a big mistake and they got fired from their job. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's no transformation happening in their life. And hmm. and they could be a genuine, born-again Christian person who makes a big mistake yeah. and even commits a serious sin, I would say, um, but uh, but at the same time is going to come to, to, come to the Lord and... And our world would cast that person away so quickly, while um, in the church we would say there's hopefully growth that's going to happen. There's repentance that we see in this person's life, and uh, mm-hmm. that repentance is the fruit of the spirit, uh, and not just the virtue that comes from it. Yeah, um, so I think so. I think there's definitely a place then to challenge the person making this argument to have a broader 
bigger picture perspective on things because often it comes down to a few, maybe even one enormous infraction that some Christian makes against them that causes them to, to be done with any sort of belief in, in God or his existence, etc. And so that pushes them into the sort of place of agnosticism or atheism or what have you. Or just anti-Christianity. Yeah. That's sort of what all of this is based in. And so one one helpful way of, of talking with this person would be to remind them of, depending on their context, the little old ladies at the, at the church <laughs> right. who have been praying for them. Or in my own life, I had a friend who uh, became an atheist after high school and really would talk about how Christians were all just hateful Fox News watchers, you know, and that was his big thing. And I tried having conversations with him, seemingly to this point to no avail, but of just saying, yeah, but do you remember all those 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 faithful, loving Christians at our church that we, we, were, we were together at who helps you raise money to go to, to Mexico or to go on, on other missions trips. They, people who you barely knew, but they, they loved you enough and cared for you uh, to, to help you do all these incredible things. Mm-hmm. People who were praying for you without you even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at that church, I can't, I can't think of any, any people who made any huge evil mistakes against, against <laughs> us, against me, against you. But you can think of all the people that you know and love. You sometimes I know this friend will still go to that church, and people will just give him hugs yeah. and just say, "We're so glad to have you back here. Uh, we're it's so genuine. so it's happy like, to yeah. see you." It's not just because he's back in church and he's <laughs> right. doing the right thing. It's just that they they love this friend of mine, uh, and I think maybe yeah, if you if you listen to the world's narrative, sometimes you will think Christians are just these evil people, but. Yeah. Think about the Christians you know. I I know I can think of Christians who, who, have done some some heinous things and have lived uh, in heinous ways and make me genuinely doubt whether they they know the Lord. Hmm. But for every one of those sorts of Christians, I can think about of about twenty other Christians who were simple. They loved the Lord. They cared about people. They cared about the poor. They would do things without anybody else knowing they were mm-hmm. doing these good things. They would give mm-hmm. money to to organizations or to people in other countries. They would serve in soup kitchens without any sort of fanfare or, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. Yeah. They would give their time and their resources to, to see the world uh, made a better place in just simple sort of ways. <laughs> and I think that's what Christianity looks like. Christianity does not look like the person who is doing it for the money yeah. or the, for the power and the prestige of starting their own church or whatever it may be. Well, I think that's a great point because in our culture, in our world with social media, it is assumed that if you aren't putting things on your social media, you must not be doing any good yeah. because the yeah. one time I go to the soup kitchen, everyone's going to know about it. Yeah, And so uh, that that's how many worldly people I know think about yeah. doing anything um, benevolent or, or merciful uh, to, to somebody else. And so if other people aren't doing the same kind of thing, then churches must just not care about the poor mm-hmm. because I, I don't know everything that this church is doing for the poor. And so therefore nothing must be happening for the poor there. Yeah, um, Putting their framework and their mentality about 
uh, doing works of righteousness before men um, onto the church. And Jesus says it should be very much the opposite in the church. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you give to the poor. Um, And and so I, I think often Christians can be falsely accused of not doing things, um, and and it's it could be the case that they are very much caring and, yeah. and growing and changing, and there is transformation. But the fact that we don't broadcast it, um, there is a call at times to let the world know our good deeds, so that they might praise our Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. But then that we we balance that also with the um, to pray in secret, do your good works in secret. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I do think in our social media world where the church doesn't, we don't market ourselves always as, mm-hmm. um, every little thing that we're doing, it's not on in everyone's face, uh, could be assumed as inactivity. Yeah. Um, another one that I would want to get to you reference to it a little bit is that a lot of people in the church are not Christians anyways, <laughs> and they're yeah. not born again. They're not members of the Holy Catholic church. They are not new yeah. creations. They are in a church. Um, it's a little bit of a silly story or, or illustration, but I've heard people say the fact that you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. The fact that you're sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Um, and yeah. that is very true. And Jesus said it would be the case. He said uh, in his parable of, of the wheat and the weeds that um, it's, it's sort of a perplexing parable because Jesus basically says, I'm going to leave this field and it's going to grow wheat, and there's going to be a lot of weeds in it. And at the last day, it'll all be sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> and and the disciples and I, when I respond to that parable, would think, "Well, we got to weed those weeds out, and we gotta we gotta make it perfect." Um, mm-hmm. And Jesus kind of has a different attitude about that. Um, actually, that the weeds are going to grow. And um, I've heard an interesting interpretation once hmm. of. Uh, Jesus teaching on um, the mustard seed where uh, the mustard seed is, is a, a little seed and it grows yeah. and then all the birds of the air come in and they nest in it. And in the New Testament, birds are almost always a bad thing. <laughs> and so like the birds uh, come and pick up the seed off the, the path, remember, from in the parable of the sower. So the, hmm. the birds are bad. And um, it is... Or at least it, neutral. Yeah, it, it's believed that that when Jesus says the birds come and nest and make their their place in the the mustard bush, hmm. that um, that the church will be an appealing place to be, and many will come in and sort of take up their residence in it because that sounds of like the maybe, Benedict Benedict option to me. <laughs> yeah, some of the because some of the uh, the good things. Now I don't know if, if I absolutely buy that interpretation of that parable, but I think the interpretation yeah. has a lot of truth in it that. There are a lot of good things, social things happening in the church. Kids can learn morality in the church. That's a good thing. And so there will be people in the church who are not born again and who uh, who fade away or who do something um, that is very sinful and were never mm-hmm. really a member of the true church. First uh, John talks about they went out from us because they were never of us. Right. Um, they were never really... Uh, part of us and, think, and that's a reference to false teachers but i think it's also to regular yeah people who claim christianity and are not born again i think that also it's it's sort of a the fact that there's so much of this that people are asking or or the fact that this is a legitimate question or problem with the christian faith 
shows that maybe there is a lack of church discipline too. So yeah, yeah. on the one hand, Jesus does say there's going to be wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares, depending on how you want to say that. Um, so we should just sort of accept that the church, the visible church, the institutional church is never going to be perfect or pure. There's always going to be people who are there who aren't truly Christians, but we, sh- so mm-hmm. we should accept that on the one hand. Yeah. There's also a place for church discipline on the other hand yeah. where churches do need to be careful about the purity somebody of the is church. Yeah. really clearly not living the Christian life. Uh, they don't have the fruit of the spirit uh, and, and they're not uh, deeply invested in the lives of those around them. Uh, let's maybe not some, pretend they're Christians. Let's not pretend they're Christians <laughs> yeah. and we should, we should not try to expose them or to, yeah. to like lay their sins bare before everyone in order to shame them. But we should approach them and begin to to work with them to disciple them, and if it comes to the point where it's pretty clear that they really genuinely are not Christians, there is a place for excommunication. And again, that's not to lay them bare, to hang mm-hmm. them out to dry, but it is a part of really essentially it's a part of evangelism to to try to reach that person with the gospel. the The fact that that there's so much or so many people questioning Christianity because of the quote bad Christians that they see in their lives um, makes me wonder if the church should be also doing more to, to call it how they see it. And for elders and for deacons or or church boards, however your church is set up to, to actually try to, to make more, I don't know. Make yeah. church discipline more of a priority. If somebody than it gets is. three DUIs and is an alcoholic, and everyone knows about it, and becomes an elder. Yeah, it's like that's a problem. Yeah, and and there's a lot of pretending going on there that yeah. that does damage to the name of Christ. Um, the black community has this term um, to bring the name of Jesus into an open shame. Yeah, you know, and and that's uh, I heard that in the prison uh, that that guys hmm. in the prison see this a lot where somebody would sort of claim to be a Christian from the church, get baptized yeah. in prison and just continue on the yard to swear and, you know, do all kinds of bad stuff. And that happens in the world all the time. I think one very practical place that this happens is at funerals. Hmm. And so um, I think that we do, uh, especially if any pastors are listening to this, need to be very careful about speaking the truth at funerals and not preaching people into heaven Especially yeah. if we are aware of nefarious business dealings and yeah. um, selfishness, um, pride, a terrible attitude, coarse language, somebody who hardly ever darkened the door of a church, then to, <laughs> at a funeral, I, I imagine a scenario where um, they're, all their friends come, business associates come to the funeral, and they hear about how this person was a Christian. This person yeah. was uh, an example so of Christianity maybe to everyone. Maybe they were in church every Sunday, but yeah. these people, these business partners, know some of their nefarious dealings. Yeah, right, and they've been taken advantage of. And so that that is where I, I do think pastors, yeah. we need to know our flock, and we yeah. need to be honest um, at in contexts like, contexts like that. Hmm. Not, not that we need to beat somebody up at a funeral, but we need to be careful yeah. about preaching someone into heaven who we have some sincere doubts about in terms of real commitment to Christ. Yeah. Um, because this argument is going to seem really good to that person leaving that funeral. 
oh, that's what Christianity proclaims. They talk about being a new creation. They talk about changing a heart change and being set on on God. And that is what it looks like in real life. Then that's a false religion. It's just yeah. a bunch of pretending that happens yeah. there. So um, I, I do believe, I, I think your point about church discipline is great, about true speech is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, really not being careful about who is on council, who is a teacher in the church. Yeah. Who is influential? Who's regarded as a good standard? Um, we need standards for that yeah. because the world has this question about us. It also makes me think that maybe the reverse of this argument is true. Maybe we live in a time, in a culture, in a cultural moment where now more than ever the apologetic is your life. Yeah. Um, and if that's yeah. the case, then maybe we're living in a moment where uh, letting your light shine before men that they may. Sp- see your good deeds and yep. glorify your father in heaven. Maybe yep. that is the moment we're living in. Yep. Not that we should be showing off, not that we should be posting our, our feeding of the hungry on our Instagram stories. Um, but to, to just work so hard to live the Christian life yep. by grace, uh, that, that people will begin to see that Christianity does affect a true transformational heart change at the deepest level uh, and they begin to see that Christianity is not just known for what it's against, but known for what it's for. And that is for love, that is for service, that is for sacrifice, that is for generosity and caring for your neighbors. Now, this sounds like just sort of cheesy sort of stuff, but that's, that is part of the call of the Christian, mm-hmm. of Christ, is to love neighbors. And so... To grow up, as we talked about in youth ministry, to, to yeah. put childish things behind us, maybe theologically or even in terms of our sanctification, to put yeah. little temptations that shouldn't even bother us behind us, to grow up in Christ, who is the head. And yeah. so, um, <clears throat> good discussion. I think uh, these are questions that hopefully people can talk about hmm. uh, with the pastor, with somebody who is going to be thoughtful. Um, I think that's what makes each of these a what a so-called good argument against the Christian faith is that they mm-hmm. they do require some wrestling and some thought uh, more than just a Twitter answer. Yeah. Uh, sort of the forty characters or We're less. Just googling it. Uh, there are many issues in the Christian life that require a lot more focus and um, sustained attention than um, just some of the easier um, issues that we face. So. Um, yeah, we did not say all that could be said on these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. There's many other people who have great things to say about. So uh, if some of these issues are raised in a book like The Reason for God, um, and so we commend that book to people who do have these big questions about particularly the problem of evil and um, and other common questions that our culture mm-hmm. has. But um, I'm curious to hear if people want to comment on Facebook or um Podbean, um, wherever you listen to it. Yeah. Um, what what are some maybe responses to the arguments that we've given? Do they make sense? Um, was it confusing? Or what are some arguments that you've heard against Christianity that hmm. you would maybe not necessarily we need to cover in future episodes, but maybe we can touch on here and there um, yeah. as we move forward too. So um, hopefully this has helped your faith grow because really what we want to communicate is Christianity is a thoughtful religion. This is not a religion that requires blind faith um, or even 
faith that is against reason. Um, yeah. We have faith seeking understanding. Um, and Amen. and thanks to particularly our Reformed forefathers, um, men of titanic intellect, uh, <laughs> there are often really good answers. And, and in these good answers often expose the reality of God, um, <laughs> the work of the beauty of the work of Christ, and um, and often how people are really searching for that by ask, ans- asking some of these questions. Yeah, we've really enjoyed interacting with you guys. So yeah. as Pastor Mark said, please do feel free to share thoughts. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. It's been such a pleasure to to talk about these things with you. We look forward to the interaction we can have in weeks to come. Until then, grace and peace be with you. All right, see ya.